chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, if you like, we'll finish it this morning. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a poem, Ephesians chapter 2, if you like, will be two parts. The first is the believer's new position in Christ from an individual standpoint. What does it mean for a person to be different? And the key word in the first part, the first half of chapter 2 of Ephesians, and uh, then we move on in the, the second half of the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, this concerns our new position in Christ from a corporate standpoint. And from a corporate standpoint, we have, we divided the chapter, the rest of the chapter up into three different sections. First, the fact of, the fact of this new relationship in Christ, the fact of the union between Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ, that's verses 11 through 13. Then we study for a little long time the explanation of that union, verses 14 through 18, and finally the consequences of that union in verses 19 through 22. Since we finished that portion of God's Word tonight, I'd like to turn back to the record. We've been on this particular subject for two months now. And so I'd like to turn back. I'm not sure that we're all on the same page. Let's read this portion together. Read it along if you would without out loud. But this is uh, in the Bibles given to you. It's the last portion of chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, Born in the flesh by human hands. You may not have heard of that. Circumcision has no bad word in it. It's just kind of like a cuss word for the, the day we used to use it. In verse 12, remember that you at that time were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace made both groups into one, and broke down the barriers that divided them by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, making peace, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by having, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came to institute peace for you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now these verses are not the covenant verses, but they're important. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in and by in Christ. Amen. So we see the fact of the union between Jews and Gentiles in verses 11 through 13. The explanation of that union in verses 14 through 18, and the consequences of that union in verses 19 through 22. And then we've got the final section that we studied tonight, the consequences of the union between Jews and Gentiles into the body of Christ. And remember that there's one key idea overarching idea for the entirety of the letter to the Ephesians, and it's the idea of unity. Now, there's another closely associated idea, and that's love. Because without love, you're not going to have unity. And you see what Paul's done in this second chapter, this great second chapter. In the first chapter, he told us all these wonderful reasons why God is this way. He lays out the outline that it's not really about us, it's about God. In the second chapter, in the first three verses, you recall he painted a really vivid negative picture in the background of all the things that were made so much fun of you that it looks to me like, you know, Paul has no way to build an audience. You don't paint a picture like that. 
because this means that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He's speaking to the Ephesian believers by the time he's four there to say it. But then in verse 4, even though we were dead, we were gracious, turned to wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So what Paul does in the first half of chapter 2, the first half of chapter 2, he introduces the idea of grace, meaning that none of us earned or deserved the forgiveness of God. That's point number one in Paul's outline. He's going to call us to unity in this letter by this chapter. Exhibit number one, that none of us earned or deserved our salvation. Really, we ought not to have to make it exhibit number two, but he's going to. Exhibit number one is grace. And then in exhibit number two, he speaks in verses 11 through 23 about our corporate relationship, the significance of that, the fact that we can have this controversy as a, as a further validation to the fact that we can have this
that by the time you get to what Paul says in Ephesians, the Jew may very well have been on the other foot, and the Gentiles will have their own little archaic traditions that they still apply to their attitude. Paul is here speaking to the Gentile believers that pretty much, although not exclusively, but pretty much were now converted to the Catholics. So Gentiles, he tells us in verse 19, Gentiles who place their faith in Jesus Christ become fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So in this portion, the last the last three verses, you're, you're going to have three three primary concepts. The first is going to be the foundation of this building that's going to be called the body of Christ. Second, the formation of this building. And then finally, the function of this building. But first, before we get to these last three verses, in verse 19 he says, And you are no longer strangers and aliens. Gentile believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ become fellow citizens with God's people, meaning Gentiles, and members of God's household. Jew and Gentile alike come into this singular body of Christ. They become part of a coalition of the saved from all ages, going all the way back to Adam. I need to know, but I want you to think carefully. This does not mean, some have said, that the church now inherits the blessings and promises of the gospel. It should. In fact, this goes back before Israel. This is, this, this, there's, there's a fellowship of believers of all time in this particular sense. Some have, the reason I bring that up, some have disregarded the context of this. And they say that in, in, verse, in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are members of God's household. That means that the church has now taken over the promises of the Old Testament. And that's not the case. Far from it. Now, there, there's these things but the context. But sometimes people take verses in isolation and they make a mistake when they do that. Gentiles are not incorporated into Israel, but believing Jews and Gentiles are incorporated into the body of Christ. This is the church. Remember in the last part of Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul equates the body of Christ with the church. By that, he means the church universal, not any individual local church, but the church as the body of Christ. And it is Paul who says this to Ephesians 1 and 2 first. The church began on the day of Pentecost. Jesus, and Moses had a plan to get to the Roman Catholic Church, and he refused them, 
basically, in the way Paul is using the first century, if a foreigner was traveling to another country, here's the appropriate documents for them. And so that, that person has the right to be in that country for X amount of time, however long the law says they can be there. In this case, an alien, as Paul is using the term here, is akin to a person who is legally residing in a foreign country who's a resident of Jesus that country, they're not traveling through that country, but they actually have a piece of paper that says, I can move here. But neither are citizens. You see, these foreigners are aliens in this setting. Neither one are citizens. So while they have a right to be there for a particular period of time, they don't have a right to stay there, and they don't have a right to all the other things that a citizen would have a right to. And that's not saying the way it is in our country. We're talking about someone who's legally in the country for that particular not necessarily someone who's illegal, so we can't bring this in. Let's take our situation today and leave it alone. But one is a, one who is traveling through legally, another one is one who is staying there legally for however long that legal will allow it. But neither of these two groups is a citizen. And that's the key thing that Paul is trying to point out here. And neither of the group has all the privileges that go along with citizenship in a particular country. So what Paul is saying in verse 19 is that Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. They no longer have to have a passport or a visa to feel comfortable in a particular country. You're now a citizen of this country. I, I know somebody right now who lives in a, a country overseas. I won't, I won't say where it is, but it's within tiny terms of the United States. They, unlike some other people, are doing it the right way, and they, like many other people, think they might have hit it. It's amazing to me how that happens sometimes, but they're doing it the right way. So when they first come, this is the right, it's going to have a piece of paper that says it's legal for you to be here, and then after a while, the paperwork will be filled out and the oath will be taken, and I'm sure there'll be a ceremony of some sort where that person will know they're legal, the citizen knows they're legal, will raise their hand and become a citizen of the United States, where she'll have all the rights and privileges. You see the difference? When she first gets here, she's going to have a piece of paper that says, somebody asked her, I can be here. I've got a legal right to be here. But as soon as she's granted citizen, she won't have to fill out paperwork. But she'll be a citizen and have all the rights and privileges of a citizen. So, what Paul said in verse 19, you're no longer of that category. That's not you anymore. But you're citizens. You're the same. And I've uh, hinted verses 10 through 15. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the foremost. Verse 20, Paul talks about the foundation of the building. Now, believers, the Gentile believers are fellow citizens. The Gentile believers, not just Gentiles, the Gentile believers in the Lord Jesus, the fellow citizens, is that they are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, an apostle is a man that leads Moses back and talks about how he's the great trumpeter and type of the people and preparing them to be called apostles. But the prophet in the religious revelation Of the church, the church of Christ, the church of apostles, the church of apostles, the church of prophets, the church of leaders. 
board that structures the council is set up and created by the board. So we would have to come back and have a new meeting in March of next year. Well, we would have a cost set up of none. That working dog is just an occasion. Working dog is to have that necessarily a relationship with the authority to begin with. You wouldn't need a cost to do that. But over time, the authority would set the parameters to begin with because it was written
and the apostles and the prophets knew that their foundation was solid because Jesus Christ was the cornerstone. We have that right? Christ first, apostles and prophets, and then because that is what verse twenty verse twenty verse twenty one. Now we have the formation of the church in whom.